Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Andrew Goldstein. The transition from CMO to CEO can be a difficult one. That's why we are pleased to share a session from the 2019 Chief Medical Officer Summit about positioning yourself as a corporate leader and building the right team of advisors when going from CMO to CEO. The panel was moderated by Dr. Zane Kassam, CMO at Finch Therapeutics, and featured Dr. Efi Brennan of Synlogic and Dr. Greg Fiore of Solus Therapeutics. The session is called How to Navigate the Development Path from CMO to CEO. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. So, thanks so much. Um, this is a really important question. I think one that a lot of CMOs um, are at least thinking about, about, okay, doing the CMO thing, what's next for me? And maybe one of those paths could be uh, a CEO path. And before we kind of get going, I'd love to first hear an introduction for both of you guys and then start to ask you about your stories. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to get started. Um, so hi, everyone. I am I'm currently CEO and CMO of um, a company called Synlogic. We're a public um, early phase clinical development organization. Um, I joined the company as chief medical officer in September 2016. It was my first CMO opportunity. I'd been working at Biogen as therapeutic area head for some time and really saw this as an opportunity to get to understand the ecosystem within small companies and had no ambition or if somebody had told me, Aoife, in two years time you're going to be running this company, I would have told you that you were absolutely certifiable, that there was no way that either I, A, I had the desire or B, that the board would be crazy enough to give me that role. So the company actually moved really quickly. I joined, it was a private company. I was their first development hire. We had um, about 20 really smart scientists, none of whom had ever, you know, maintained a lab notebook, let alone written an IND. Um, But, you know, despite that, we made pretty rapid progress and we became a public company. And about six months after the company transitioning public, just as I was kind of felt I was hitting my stride, with the clinical group, we'd hired a couple of people. I was no longer a group of one. Um, you know, the, the board asked me would I step in as interim CEO. Um, and I had thought about being a CEO at some point in my late, late career. In my world, it was in the same bucket as learning to play golf. You know, something I have ambition to do one, t- one day when I have a lot of time on my hands and, you know, my kids are away at college and I'm in a different place. Um, from a life perspective and hadn't ever thought about it as a near-term next step. Um, but, you know, I agreed to be the interim. I, I initially actually said no and required a lot of convincing. I agreed to be an interim CEO. Um, I was still doing my old job because I actually kind of liked my old job. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I don't want to hire someone to do my old job because I want to go back there when they hire this wonderful CEO. Um, and. About halfway through the summer, realized that I was kind of moonlighting in, in a role that I really should be doing fully. You know, I had this um, philosophy that my job was similar to moonlighting, right? You just want to make sure that all the patients are alive and well at the end of your shift. You're not going to piss off any of the nursing staff because it's just not worth it. You know, you're only there for eight hours. So, you know, you just want to coast along and do enough to keep everyone alive and well, but are really not committed to the long-term outcome. And that was the kind of point that made me feel like, okay, I, I need to do this. Um, so I put my hat in the ring officially and have been a permanent CEO now since October. Great. And Greg, um, I think a, a, a unique and inter- interesting story as well for you. So maybe an introduction to who you are and then how your story of the, the CEO path. Sure, sure. So I, uh, 
I am a physician, as you can see, trained in internal medicine and pulmonary. I actually left medicine directly from fellowship and joined a company called McKinsey and, uh, gen as a general business consultant. At that time, I actually moved from Boston to the Cleveland office of McKinsey, which becomes interesting in a moment, and subsequently moved into the pharmaceutical industry and spent time in a variety of roles, really all non-commercial, from really starting pharmacovigilance through different development activities, and then my last role in traditional pharma was a CMO. And then I started a couple of consulting firms along the way, providing similar types of services at different levels of scale to large and small uh, pharma and biotech clients. And through one of those uh, con consulting relationships, get uh, asked actually to review some data on a product in, in uh, diligence for an incubator that was set up in Ohio State University. The Ohio comes back. And so taking a look, really it was everyone involved were a device, had device backgrounds, and I was the only person with pharmaceutical background. So I took a look at the asset, pretty much fell in love with it, and then it became a, quite a natural transition on. I hired somebody to replace myself and my company, and then moved in to be the leader of that firm. And uh, actually, as of last Monday, so I was CEO, pretty much acting CMO, and then as of last Monday, I moved into the C, back into the, I guess back into the CMO role, and we hired a kind of a more traditional, experienced uh, industry CEO to take the lead of the company as of about a week ago. More to come. And, and, tell, me, and tell me about the McKinsey, because do you feel like that was an essential part of you getting the thinking around some of the skills that are required in a CEO role, or is that kind of something that just, just took you down that path regardless? So I don't plan very well, so most of what's happened to me really has been opportunistic, and, uh, and I have an interest in learning different things. So McKinsey, I think, taught me to think logically, present logically, and speak at least more clearly than I had before I went there. Uh, but really, probably, I hadn't thought much about being, you know, thought specifically about being a CEO, and I think it's interesting that my top-level advice for anyone would be be interested and find the opportunity. So it's funny that you had the opportunity presented to you. weren't initially interested, and then you became interested. So <laughs> that's a good story. And Ethan, what was your biggest surprise in the transition? What are the things that you didn't anticipate but were kind of uh, thrust upon, so to speak? Yeah, um, I think I've, I've learned three things that may be of interest to this audience, certainly to anyone who's considering thinking about a CEO at some point. And the first thing is there's actually no required step between CMO and CEO. Um, and I think what I see people who kind of make a mistake, it's that they think that you know, they should be head of R&D or that there's some kind of intermediate step there. And I think if you have that mindset, it's going to lead you to make the wrong decision because you'll move to a role for a broader scope that's not necessarily required or that may actually be a bad idea from a career perspective. So it's not like we get used to having this progressive career in medicine, you know, where you, you're one thing and then you get into the next one and the next. There's no actually required step and I think that's just the first thing that's really important. Um, the second thing is that, you know, it's, it's all about people. I think you can be bad at hiring and still be a great CMO because you know that you know if your head of clean ops you know gets rolled over by a bus tomorrow that you can step in and you know be reasonably competent in kind of keeping that piece running and the same for most of the sub functions within the CMO function you can step in for a medical director or a medical monitor if needed but when you become a CEO that's option that opportunity is completely off the table 
So you really need to develop a skill of hiring and surrounding yourself by great people who are both you know, culturally great fit, but also technically, because you're not, you, you only are able to do pattern recognition. You, know, you can't diagnose, is, you know, do I have a problem with my head of manufacturing, or are we just in a biotech industry where a lot of things take longer and cost more than you originally thought? And unless you're really um, insightful and intuitive about people, it's going to be really, really difficult to do the job. And then the third piece that I've kind of learned over the past six months particularly is that the role of the CEO is primarily about being a sponge. <laughs> you're um, protecting the internal organization so that they can get on and, and do the job that they need. You're dealing with the board, you're dealing with investors, and you're absorbing all of that uncertainty and you know risk and... A disappointment because you haven't you know, made a 10x return from your, the people who invested in your last round. You have to absorb all of that. Um, and if you start to you know, behave and have a knee-jerk reaction inside the company where you, know, you go and you speak to investors all day in a hotel room in the Marriott in New York or somewhere, and you come back and you start berating your clinical staff of like, why isn't this study done already? You know, that's just um, not, you know, not what people need for a healthy organization. I think you know, I was interested in the um, regulatory panel and some of the CEO bashing, um, you know, and, and a lot of it very, very justified. And I think that's because of failure of the sponge, right? That's failure of the sponge and you know, where you have, it's really challenging to have these young analysts who've never done anything. Every time I go, they seem to get younger and younger ask you questions like, why haven't you filed your BLA yet? Um, you know, what do you mean you have to do talks? I can't understand how it takes you know, nine months from clinical candidate to an IND. And you're answering these questions over and over again. It's really hard not to come away from that with this, like, my staff are idiots. If they were only more clever, they'd have worked this out and they'd work out how to get an IND done in two weeks. And you know, it's, it's just a human emotion. And if you don't see, okay, my job here is to actually be a sponge and to absorb that and to take the board's needs and wants. And each board member has different baggage that they're bringing into the boardroom and to understand that and work with them and manage your stakeholders. I think that's the job. Um, and I didn't realize that, but now I realize it. Um, and it helps because you just, you talk to other CEOs because they're kind of the only people who understand what's all in your sponge. Um, and I think that's, and that's been the most amazing part of the experience is how generous other CEOs are and how they'll kind of share that journey with you and say, yeah, I know it sucks, doesn't it? You know, and you can have that kind of therapy session which has been just so useful. Greg, how about you, what biggest surprises yeah. in the role? Sure, so, I mean, I think there, are, there really are many. So I was in the role for only about two years. Uh, which was, I think, a sufficient amount of time to see many different permutations of what can happen. But I think the two main things, and it builds on what you mentioned, are everything is a test of the CEO and everything is a negotiation with the CEO. So, as you mentioned, when analysts are pressuring or in investors are pressuring, so we're a private company, so our analog to analysts were the investors. And we went through the fundraising cycle and, and were tested in many different ways, many different times. So some of it is about, in, in, in every response, as you mentioned, a sponge, I, I consider that more of a balance. So the balance is taking in what the you know, person who may fund your company or may not is asking you and 
thinking about how hard to push back on the things that you're pretty comfortable with and how not to capitulate on the things that you either didn't think of before, you know, agree with, or need to explore further. So really, everything is a test and everything is, I think, a negotiation. That was pretty difficult. The, the latter part was more difficult for me than the former. I'm okay to be tested because I, we've, we've looked into things and we have a degree of firmness or not on the things we've looked into and the things we haven't looked into, you know, I can think on my feet about whether we should or probably we won't need to. But the negotiation part was really difficult for me because I'm just not used to, I'm much more of an open, you know, here's what we think the valuation is type of person rather than sometimes it takes some of the people around the table 15 minutes to get to a point. But as I looked in retrospect, that is a technique that is really effective. It's not as effective to say we think the valuation is a billion. So those are my biggest, uh, those are the biggest differences for me. It's from prior roles. And we talked a little bit on our phone call about uh, managing the board and uh, thoughts on how you navigate that. It's a pretty important role for a CEO and how to um, both uh, navigate but also to protect a sponge, if you will. Tell, tell me about your experience with respect to the board specifically. Yeah, so I'm still very much on a learning curve on this one. Every time I do a board meeting, I try something different and I'm kind of trying to do a, a, a trial and error. Um, my learning so far is you know, it's not a board, it's like eight different individuals that you're managing. So, you know, you think of them as a unit, like, you know, the board, and you send these emails to everyone at the same time, and you absolutely have to do that to check the box. But you're actually in managing eight different individuals, and each one of them has have things that are important to them, and um, each one of them has a different level of depth that they want. So I think once you start to kind of see it that way, it's really helped me. So for instance, if we have an important decision coming up, we'll do a formal stakeholder plan, and it won't be the board, it'll be you know each eight individual people, and you take this, and I take this, and I'm going to New York for dinner with the board member, and here's what I'm going to you know show him and, and ask him. Um, and I think that's been the most helpful learning for me in terms of managing the board, because just like the EU, just like regulators, right? It's not one thing, it's you know, multiple different individuals. So that's been kind of my big lesson there. How about you, Greg, any tips or tricks for, for navigating the board? <laughs> um, you may not want to listen to these, given that I moved from CEO to CMO recently, <laughs> but here's my thoughts. Um, so I think this similar thing about the board, the, the, I guess my most fun learning from board interactions is that Board members, at least in our case, are pretty assertive about what they're interested in talk. So for example, we, you run the agenda, draft agenda by each member before the meeting. So they, you can't ask them what do you want to talk about, of course, because you're the lead, but if they want to talk about something that you don't talk about, that's big trouble. So we run everything by them and try to figure out what about each topic each individual is interested in. And many times there were things that didn't make the final agenda just because you know, there's not enough time and the, and the CEO, sometimes with the chair, needs to decide what falls off. And then the best part is, you know, when I was going through that, and but so-and-so really was focusing on this one thing, by the time we'd get to the meeting, they didn't even remember what they were asking us to talk about anyway. So it really is, you're gonna get somebody's snapshot every quarter of what they think about the company based on the last sound bites they can remember. But when they get to the meeting, they're looking for leadership from the CEO to corral the discussion, to set up the points, and to shut things down when necessary. So that's been, that was kind of a, important for me to learn. Anybody 
you mentioned you know the generosity of fellow CEOs. Tell me a little bit more about your network of advisors and how you brought them into the fold. Um, I think there's nobody nobody like build a ship by themselves, even in your own company. But tell me about your network and how you kind of leverage that. Yeah, so I think it's it's huge. I think there are technical advisors, you know, that you have when you know you're thinking about fundraising or you have a regulatory issue, and you know you you're almost certain, but you have to do diligence yourself as a CEO, and you want a second opinion on something. So, I mean, I put those in a separate bucket, right? Because I think they're easy. Um, I reached out when I was made interim. You know, first thing was Ed K. Didn't know him from Adam. I kind of remembered from Shamin is here, and maybe she's left, but I kind of remembered seeing this rep to story, so I kind of knew he was in a similar situation, CMO, kind of battlefield promotion to CEO. Um, and it was pretty amazing. Didn't know him from Adam, sent him, found his email, sent him an email. He's like, oh, I'm in Cambridge. I'm walking towards your office. I'll be there in 10 minutes, like literally. This guy sat down and ta basically taught me off the ledge. Um, you know, you can do this. You learned everything you need to know in kindergarten. You know, it was, was awesome. Um, you know, I think not only do, do people make time for you, but they also are so generous in just sharing what they're dealing with at their companies, which makes you feel like, okay, you know, this, you know, maybe what I have is not so bad and, and you know, I can make this run. Um, so it's been re really amazing. I've spent most time with people who are, has, have a similar background to me. So David Chankheim, Ed Kay, Emil Kakis, you know, all amazingly, you know, great at helping me navigate not just what it means to be a small company CEO, but also how you, the behaviors that got you here are not what are gonna get you there. Um, so how to transition from being kind of the CMO, which is the no person on the leadership team, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you have to deliver that. Well, that would be wonderful, except it's not doable. Um, you know, to being that kind of balance of vision, but also execution. Um, so that's been really, really amazing. And it's, it's just been really encouraging to me how um, you know, everyone's been so encouraging and, and generous with their time. Um, for no, you know, for, there's nothing in it for them, right? Um, it's a complete, you know, real, true generosity. Greg, uh, has there been mentors or advisors in your kind of journey that you've really particularly um, been impressed mm -hmm. by? Yeah, so in addition to CEO mentors, I think you, you probably did as well, we seek out board member mentors, some kind of senior people that are participating on boards to give us that perspective as well. And I think that from both the, the CEO really, if you sit back and think about, once you've internalized the shift in, in role, think about what the role should entail, hear a little bit around, it's pretty easy to figure out what's expected. Doing it, I think, is the harder part because we're, we're used to gravitating towards certain things and we need to get away from the old and go to the new. So I think for me using the CEOs as sounding boards was really just to reinforce that, you know, so I make the agenda for the board meeting, right? So wait, I decide where we go for dinner for the board dinner? You know, some of that stuff that you, you think, you know, you're just not sure, that's where I think the CEOs were very helpful. And for me, the board members that I kind of developed mentoring relationships with really were telling me um, how to push back on board members, you know, what they expect to hear in terms of that balance of firmness and, and uh, accommodation of what the commentary is. So yeah, I think both of those were very helpful. The, from the team level, I have a style that's not really about, you know, I don't set firm boundaries with the team. So I don't think my relationship with team shifted too much in terms of style from from my prior lives. So I don't know, maybe others have different experiences with that where they maybe become a little more rigid so that 
excuse me, they don't betray what <coughs> pressures they're hearing because that can really freak out a team sometimes when, when, when they know we're out of money in you know July. Uh, so <laughs> I think everybody. That's, a sponge. Is, you know, <laughs> That's in the sponge. Right. <laughs> exactly. We're fully funded for, for the next two weeks. <laughs> so, that, of course, that's not our situation. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wonderful conclusion. I want to make sure I leave time for the audience to open up for questions. So, uh, open up to the audience for, for questions for speakers. So, question for Yofi: How many hours a day do you sleep? Because I've, my job as a CMO is uh, a nightmare, so I, I cannot imagine doing both at the same time. So tell, tell me what, what do you do. I mean, do you I, consume I, anything <laughs> exciting that, that you want to share? That you just keep, coffee, just coffee. You know. um, no, I, my job right now is triage. You know, and I think that's the other thing. You have to just make it okay that you know, at a small company, not everything is going to be to the standard that it would be at a GSK or wherever you worked before. Because if you try to maintain everything at the standard that you know your prior company was at, that's just there's just not enough resource, not enough hours in the day. Um, and I feel like it's the concept of triage, right? Where you're con every day you're you just have to ask yourself, I have you know 14 hours here that that it, of my time and. You know, th you just have to let things go. Um, you know, that are maybe yes, I could spend. You know, we're having we're on this Chardon bus tour where, um, you know, I'll give you an ex exact example. And you know, investors are coming around the company next week, and the team are making posters to kind of show. And I looked at them this morning on my cell phone. I'm like, you know, these don't look good. The square boxes, there's different fonts, but you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. But, because but, but how do you divide your day? I mean, you do three hours as a CMO, three hours as a CEO, you do most. So you need to have a very senior people in your clinical group in order to delegate, I assume. I mean, how do you do it? I mean, That's been really challenging. I'm hoping that it will end soon. We're actually searching for a CMO. Um, yeah. And what I tried to do initially was we did a CD. You know, we had an organization that's very familiar to everyone where you've SMTs and CDTs. And as CMO, I was chairing the CDT. And... We, um, you know, had, had a good process. So I tried to kind of, okay, Tuesdays I'm a CMO, so that I would be at the CDT and I would be in my CMO capacity and we'd go deep on plans and CDPs and re regulatory strategy and all that kind of stuff. That kind of fell away because it's just so difficult to maintain any kind of rules of, you know, mm -hmm. Tuesday mornings and this and, and afternoons. Um, it's very, very challenging. And I feel it's just flexibility and nimbleness um, of like being able to move to where, you know, the the, the you know someone's going to die, or you know, metaphorically, you know, to be able yeah. to just use your time in a very conscious way, and make sure that you're having the biggest impact per hour that you can for the whole company. And sometimes that's deep dive on, you know, a synopsis is going out to the FDA. Mm -hmm. It's currently a mess. I'm going to spend four hours fixing it to, you know, there's an issue in manufacturing that we need to sort out. So, um, you know, that's kind of, I've given up trying to control and just kind of going with the tree. What happened with your team when you decided to go to a CEO? There was any uh, unhappiness? I mean, that... Uh, it, it was very difficult for the team because we were really small as a, and a small mm -hmm. company. We were a really small, tight team. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was very challenging. The most challenging thing, I think, organizationally is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that over time, I think, you know, knowing for certain, even if it's not the outcome that you like, mm -hmm. 
is far less stressful than an uncertain situation. So part of the sponge has been for me to try and provide certainty to the team, even though I'm uncertain, right? Even though I don't know who the next CMO is going to be, and to make sure that they know I'm still going to be involved, I'm still going to mentor them as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of been you know, part of how I've tried to deal with that, that challenge. Thank you. Hi, um, you actually stole my question. I was going to ask about work-life balance, but <laughs> um, hi, congratulations to you both, Aoife and Greg. An amazing story, very inspiring. Uh, you probably recognise from my accent, Aoife. I think we, I think we graduated within a year each of each other from from Trinity and. In Dublin, um, ironically, I've just come back from Boston. To I went, I came out to Boston to seek a CMO opportunity, and ironically, within a year of arriving here, one um, popped up in, in Dublin where I had just left. I've come back, but um, really, I, I, I guess for me, I think a physician CEO offers something really intangible that you, you know, with with all the experience in the world, a non-physician CEO doesn't really see things differently. We never see things through the eyes of a patient, has never you know, put their hands on a patient or spoken to relatives. That holistic perspective that you can only get from being on the hospital wards or sitting in a clinic or understanding the patient journey. So I, I really do, I'm a huge advocate of, of um, CEOs um, who are also physicians. And my previous company was, was Sanofi and Olivier Brandicor is an MD um, CEO. And, I, I can see it brings a difference to the organisation. Obviously, the scale of an organisation like Sanofi is very different, but it, it does translate in, in all aspects. Um, so what I actually wanted to ask both of you, and Greg, I thought your comment about um, opportunistically falling into um, you know, wh- where you ended up is, is very true. I think the whole career ladder thing is, is rubbish. You, you just fall into roles that you never see yourself in, and it just happens. And you know, and, uh, and for me, you know, when, when you look at what the requirements are for a CEO role, you know, it's the fear factor. It's like, I, I don't have any business qualifications. I don't have an MDA. What do I know about financials? But you, you learn organically. I, I think it's that, that smartness and that aptitude that is often inherent in, in, in physicians as, as you progress through, through your career. But maybe back to the question, is, is work-life balance outside of the actual the office. How do you juggle young children? You said this was something that you thought you would leave till you were learning golf. You know that's how I view it too. But yes, just as you navigate the career pathway, these things just come along. You fall into it. It's not easy, but it's very doable. But it still is a juggling match. You know, you really need to make room for your your own holistic self. How, how do you do that? So I think there's two points in, in the question. I'll answer it by telling you the advice I had from two other MD and uh, CMO to CEO people. The first one is around having this notion that you need to understand the business or to run a PL. Um, and this was advice I got from Emil Kakis. He said, you know, if you're running a supermarket, being, having PL experience is really important. That's a tight margin business. They make 3% yeah. margin on everything that they sell. You know, so you really need a solid understanding of business and finance. Running a small company is about running ideas, right? It's about managing ideas. It's not about managing cash flow. Yes, running out of cash is not ideal, but it's about how do you choose a good idea? You know, it's about managing, you're not managing money. Money is the fuel, but you're managing ideas. And that was kind of helped me focus. Um, The other component was from David Shankheim, who, you know, the biggest suck of your time is dealing with investors, right? There are so many of them. They are so demanding. You can, like, it's like shoveling coal into a furnace. You never know. You just, you keep shoveling, right? You go, God, I'm spending 
have so much time here. I don't know that there's any necessarily, you know, outcome, but it's just like never ending. How do I balance that versus what I'm doing with programs? And his advice was, you know, don't worry too much about that, Aoife. Focus on developing good programs, developing something that's addressing a clinical need, and the investors will come along on the journey. You can't do none, mm -hmm. you know, for sure, but you have to balance, and your skill set is understanding patient need and being able to choose something that has a true path forward mm -hmm. versus something that's just a gimmick um, and focus yeah. your time and effort there and don't worry so much about you know putting fancy slides together or you know going to every single investor meeting that ever existed um, so that was kind of the advice I received from both of them and I think both pieces of advice were absolutely solid and then the work-life balance piece. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that over. Yeah, we're, we're double zeros, so we'll, we'll thank the panel for an excellent session. Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Chief Medical Officer Summit. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.